everybody, it's Chris Voss on October 25th, 2012, joined with Buck Nasty, the statistics man. We're going to ask him some questions about what I consider to be statistical paradoxes, although he might, uh, he might disagree with that terminology. So let's ask him, what do you think of the term paradox as it relates to statistics? Well, I, th I think of when people say paradox, it's, it's some concept that doesn't tend to make sense when you think about it. Uh, I, I remember in AP Statistics, uh, our, our teacher, Mrs. Burns, uh, showed it. I, I remember her showing us about Simpson's paradox, and, and my first reaction was, this is not a paradox, this is simply linear weights. And I, th I think that uh, my, my, only, my only reservation about this, this term in statistics is that when the statistics, when the calculations are right, it's not really a paradox because everything that in the calculations should make sense. And it, and it does, for example, in Simpson's Paradox, when you have unequal distributions of sample sizes, uh, the weight of an average or something like that will be attracted to the larger sample rather than the smaller one. All right, well, let's try and apply it to some specific situations. Although this isn't really all that specific. You would think that the optimal strategy in any sport is to try to maximize your expected score. But that's not true, is it? Why isn't it true? Well, essentially the goal in sports, if I can amend your statement a little bit, is to win, um, generally accepted. Uh, some sports count uh, run differentials, score differentials uh, in their standings, but most don't. Um, most professional sports uh, in the mainstream don't. Um, for In baseball, for example, um, many, many people will be familiar with the strategy of sacrifice bunting. If, if you go by the what's traditionally thought of as the book of strategies uh, that managers use in specific situations time and again, um, for example, uh, sacrificing a runner over from first to second with no outs in order to get him in scoring position. Um, while this increases the improbability of that specific runner scoring, it decreases uh, the team's run expectancy. Um, this is because you're giving up an out in the process and therefore bringing yourself closer to the end of an inning. But the sacrifice bunt is, in fact, uh, the dominant strategy in certain instances, in certain states in a baseball game, um, even though it does decrease your, your run expectancy. Um, for example, in a tie game in the bottom of an extra inning, um, essentially you only need to score one run to win, and the instant that you score that one run, the game is over, you win automatically. Um, there's no benefit in scoring any runs after that first run. So if you have, for instance, the runner on first, no outs, behooves you to move him over to second, giving up that one out, because that increases the probability of, ex of scoring exactly one run. 
where it decreases the probability of scoring exactly two runs, or exactly three runs, or exactly four runs, that doesn't matter to you because all you're concerned about is scoring that one run. And that improves your probability of winning in that specific game, which is the ultimate goal. So that's just one example uh, where you're not necessarily always trying to score the most runs or maximize your scoring, but you must rather be focused more intensely on winning, no matter uh, what the context is. So it's always so the dominant strategy is always to maximize your chance of winning, and that and that can um, that can mean that in particular situations you have to try and maximize particular variables. I guess it would be. Well, I mean, it's there. There aren't many situations in which you wouldn't want to take the strategy of run run expectancy maximization, but uh, these these are these are some of them when you specifically only have to score one run, or when you think that you only will need to score one run. Although that gets a little bit more dicey, um, but yes, gen generally, I mean, at least. In my perception of sports, uh, you're you're always trying to win. So, unless unless you're, of course, a team tanking for draft picks in basketball or something, I don't know. I guess that could be different, though, if there were, as you were hinting at before, there were a sport for which the total net point differential well, well were yeah, a relevant I, factor. I believe I believe in the NHL that it it counts uh, your point differential counts towards the standings, which in that case. Uh, this sort of thing is not relevant. You're always trying to uh, maximize your point differential. Although you would still be trying to maximize winning the Stanley Cup. Well, of course, but it would it would be it, if you think that maximizing your point differential gives you the best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Then yes, even if it can, even if it might cost you a win. Yeah, and that's that's also something that goes into it. If if you have um, if your star player, uh, you know, pulls a muscle in the middle of the game, and uh, you really don't have any anyone good to replace him with, um, it might significantly decrease your chances of scoring runs or winning that specific game. But taking him out of the game might uh, benefit you in the long run. So these things have to be considered. Maybe you've already answered this question, but this is going to be somewhat abstract. What am I doing wrong? What would you say is the overall uh, error that a person is committing when they think in terms of maximizing expected runs rather than maximizing win percentage? How would you describe precisely what he's doing, or maybe generally what he's doing? Well, is he missing some essential facet of statistics? Is he ignorant to something? No, not necessarily. I think when you talk about that distinction, you're you're more talking about uh, a conceptual fact uh, that the the general accepted goal of a sport like baseball is to win games, uh, and runs lead to wins. Obviously, runs are the building blocks to win wins. And in statistical analysis, it's it's, it's more important when you're looking at uh, trying to determine why something happened or how something happened to. Uh, look at the levels that go deeper uh, rather than rather than the big scale. Uh, f for instance, for years, uh, 
the Baseball Writers Association of America who votes for the Cy Young Awards and the MVP Awards in baseball uh, have really uh, looked at wins heavily in, as a statistic at, as they're a big determining factor in their Cy Young vote, which is supposed to go to the best pitcher in each, each league. And what we know as, stat, uh, as statisticians is that wins when you're determining player skill or player production or uh, something like that, um, these statistics that zoom way, way, way out don't uh, correlate very much to uh, the true skill or talent level of a, sp of a specific player or the true uh, nature of his production over a certain period of time. Whereas if you zoom in and you look at exactly what happened, um, you get a better idea. So could it be that the person who commits this error is getting lost in the moment of the game and failing to see the big picture again? Well, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with just the tradition of the game. Uh, baseball in particular is a game that's always been very focused on numbers. Uh, and numbers have always played a huge part in the tradition of the game, the uh, fans' perception of the game, and even the players' perception of the game. Um, for example, the uh, the Triple Crown has always been a really, really big, important part of the history and tradition of baseball. Uh, for those who don't know, it's uh, a player achieves the Triple Crown when he leads his league in home runs, runs batted in, and batting average in a single season. Um, Prior to this baseball season, there hadn't been a Triple Crown winner since um, since Carl Yuskrumski. Uh And this season, the 2012 season, the Miguel Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers won the Triple Crown um, by leading his league in these three categories. Uh, and these statistics are statistics that are revered by... Uh, baseball traditionalists, historians, people who have been in the game a long time and have s seen these statistics remain constant as the game changes in so many different ways. But to base an entire uh, evaluation of a player on these statistics that have very specific focuses and don't necessarily tell you as much about the true nature of what exactly happened uh, is as much uh, of being a slave to statistics as would be normally an accusation uh, directed towards a uh, sabermetrician, a statistician of baseball, um, who looks only at the numbers and nothing else. In any statistics, it's important to consider the context of what you're looking at. Context is extremely important because the whole purpose of statistics is understanding whatever you're studying. And the idea is that the numbers shed a greater light on 
whatever this is you're studying. Um, but to narrow your view uh, only uh, hinders and uh, darkens your overall understanding of what you're looking at. So I guess the worst thing that could happen this year is if Detroit wins the World Series and Miguel Cabrera is named MVP, because <laughs> that'll go down in history as just uh, mud in the face of the sabermetricians who said he wasn't actually the best player of the year. And who was the best player of the year, according to sabermetricians? Well, it's, the thing is, uh, Mike Trout has had a historical season. Uh, and this is nothing against Miguel Cabrera. He's had a fantastic season and certainly worthy of remembering. But uh, the consensus among sabermetric uh, viewers of the game is that Mike Trout has contribute has uh, performed to the highest level uh, of any player in the American League based on statistics like uh, weighted on base average uh, and more advanced fielding statistics. Um, I'll. A, a big part of baseball statistics that people, uh, baseball in general, that people don't necessarily take into account is fielding. Uh, in in many ways, in the position scarcity and the difficulty of playing a position, uh, Miguel Cabrera uh, plays third base is really a first baseman, and uh, this this position isn't as difficult to play, or is thought of as not as difficult to play. Uh, as center field, which is the pl position Mike Trout plays. So the fact that if, if these two players could play their positions equally well, Mike Trout would be more valuable or would have more value in it with regards to his fielding position uh, just uh, based on the difficulty of the position. Uh, but also uh, in, in that Mike Trout just plays defense better. Um, Defensive skill is is notoriously an elusive uh, facet of the game in terms of statistical representation um, because it's extremely complicated. Uh, unlike unlike offensive production, where you have specific um, base out states based on uh, whether there's no outs, one out, two outs, or three outs, or not three outs, zero, one, or two outs. Uh, in the inning and how many runners are on base. Uh, this creates 24 distinct states that are possible in any inning um, or in, at any point in the game. And um, with, with such a discrete, um, distinct structure, it's, it, it's much easier to determine the effect of certain events or uh, like... How, how much did this double, this leadoff double contribute to or increase a team's run expectancy? Well, we know that based on empirical evidence. Take all the times that there were no runners on base, no outs, and all the times that there's a runner on second with no outs and compare the average number of runs scored after that point in, in the inning and that gives you the change in run expectancy. So offense is, is fairly easy to uh, pinpoint statistically, whereas defense not so much. You, you have things like uh, range and whether or not you catch the ball, throw the ball, 
make different plays. Some some players can't get to balls that other players can get to, and uh, all these things complicate it very much. Uh, so it's still a, very much a developing field in, in baseball statistics, but it's nonetheless uh, an important part of the game, an important part of player evaluation that is often overlooked. All right, well, let me uh, get back to paradoxes here, because I just recall a great apparent paradox. This is a debate me and Buck Nasty had after a game of racquetball in which I won, but... The, well, the way we play racquetball is we record the victor of each point uh, at, every, at every single point in the game. So I won the game, but Buck Nasty took an incorrect measurement at some point, whether it was like ninth or the tenth point that he won, and so we had to throw out the whole game. I said that was a silly thing to do because we know uh, we can guess what actually happened within one or two or three points. At the most, we'd be three points inaccurate, which is really not all that inaccurate. And I said to discard the entire game since I won, I believe it was 15 to nine was um, what we recorded. And actually it was probably more like 15 to 10. But I said to guess, just pick one, 15, nine, 15, 10, and include that would be better than discarding the whole thing. And then actually, given that we know uh, we're off by only one point. We are more accurate to make up the data than to omit it entirely. Now, Buck Nasty wouldn't buy that for a single second, <laughs> and he eventually convinced me otherwise. And it's a very difficult view to reconcile with because you, you just, you're thinking, we have the almost perfect statistic at our hands, and you want to discard it, which really changes the data, well, since at that point we had only like four uh, games. What was your argument, and well, how did you convince me? Yeah, no, this is this is a difficult uh, idea to understand statistically, um, and you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm sure that the small sample size at that point it was must have been the fourth or fifth game of the uh, that we recorded uh, contributes to the the mental idea that wow, this is this is such a big loss of potential data that we could have that would contribute so much to our understanding of these this uh, context, the, these racquetball games. But the thing that we know about this data that we're omitting is that it is biased um, and potentially altered, which makes our sample invalid. Whatever the sample may be, if it includes that data, it would be more accurate. Uh, it, it would give us a more valid understanding of what happened in the long run uh, to exclude that data than to include it. Um, essentially, the, the point of, of excluding data like this is based mostly in, um, primarily in proper sampling techniques. You, when, you, when you create a sample, as a statistician, your your goal is to avoid bias and create the mo the best sample that you can in order to represent the complete pool of data that you would be taking the sample from. Um, but sampling is a a perfectly valid statistical method. Obviously. In some cases, in most cases, in statistical analysis, you can't 
uh, sample the entire pool of data. Uh, it's just completely impractical, perhaps impossible in some cases. But the, the statistical premise is that if your sample is, is valid and uh, unbiased and follows all the correct procedures of sampling, that you, your sample will be representative of your data if you have a large enough sample size. Obviously, it gets, gets difficult to say what is a large enough sample size. Um, but you need to take these things into account when, when analyzing your data. What does this data tell me? Uh, what is its value? And of course, when, when we omit, omit a game, we don't just completely forget about it. Uh, we know that, yes, we, we excluded this from our data for a specific reason. Uh, and that's because we knew this data was incorrect. Um, that there would be a bias towards included in this data. And automatically, uh, this makes this potential pool of data less valid than if it were to not include that biased data. Let me see if, let me think if I can give an example in philosophy. You tell me if this is a good analogy. If I say, let's say, how can I phrase this? One equals two, two equals one, therefore one equals one. Now, one equals one is a correct conclusion, but I got about there by a completely <laughs> valid but unsound, meaning the premises were untrue, method. So, I got the right answer, which might have been the case if we had guessed at the right answer, but because I got there, um, well, the terminology between philosophy and statistics isn't exactly great, but because I got there through an illegitimate mechanism, it's not a good conclusion. Is that similar? Yeah, so it doesn't matter. How, it doesn't matter if it's actually true. The conclusion is true. I got there incorrectly. You got to completely disregard it. Well, yeah, I think you bring up an absolutely fascinating point. The point, as I as I've already said, the point of statistics is to understand what you're studying, and you're even even though the answer, the ultimate uh, results of your your uh, conclusion happen to be correct or happen to be accurate, that doesn't mean that the components of that conclusion are accurate. This is why it's crucial to be completely unbiased in statistical analysis because you, you can see, oh, th this is turning out exactly how I thought it was going to and this, this must be exactly how it's going to be for the rest of my data collection. Well, that might be just as much due to random variation as it is uh, an accuracy of your data. But hold on a second. Does this also, context, you keep emphasizing context, is super yeah. important. Does context also matter here? Because you can imagine, if those were the only games we played, and a scout had to pick one of us to include on their team, you can imagine that the estimated data, or the data set with the one game which we guessed, you can imagine that that would be more valuable data set than one in which we omit it. Is that true? For the scout in this particular context? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, because it depends what you mean by valuable. Sure, uh, 
if if this scout isn't going to see us actually playing is just going by the data um, sure we know as an end that that extra game gets us slightly closer to what would be demonstrated as the true talent levels of each of us had that game been recorded correctly but we know that it's recorded incorrectly we know that there's a bias in that data so therefore that those data points are invalid in estimating uh, the truth the reality of the situation essentially what you have to understand is that any sample no matter how big or how small or how it's how whatever as long as it's a valid sample is going to estimate the truth of what you're studying uh, it will be certain to varying degrees based on the, the largeness of your sample, sure. Uh, but just because you have a four-game sample and that's not very large doesn't mean it's not a valid sample. Just because there is potential data out there that could have been included doesn't mean that without it, it's not valid. Even if that game had been recorded correctly, and we just decided to randomly pick out of a hat uh, one game to eliminate from our sample, and it happened to be that one, doesn't mean that that sample is any less valid than it would have been with the five games included correctly. It's, it's, just, it's just not as desirable because it's not as large well, as Well, sure, that. you always want a bigger sample uh, in order to get more accuracy, but... Uh, First and foremost, you need valid sampling. Without that, the rest is irrelevant. Yeah. Well, the title of this show is This is Logic. Uh, I consider myself a pretty logical guy, almost <laughs> to the point of being irreverent. I don't have a lick of spirituality in me, and yet <laughs> it took Buck Nasty maybe 25, 30 minutes to convince me of this point when we did have the debate. <laughs> now, I can only imagine somebody who doesn't have the same type of stringency when it comes to obeying logic and logic only especially if he has a hard ego I can <laughs> imagine that he would not accept this argument no matter how hard we tried to pound it into him and this isn't even one of the most I mean it's it's not an easy concept to understand but in the realm of all statistics I'm sure there are much more difficult and seemingly Absolutely. paradoxical things to understand and so what am I trying to say here it's a really pessimistic note <laughs> if somebody as smart as me can't understand a concept in less than 25 minutes, what hope does the rest of the world have? <laughs>